Well, good morning. I want to say hello to our Mill Creekers. I want to say hello to those who are watching online by television, those at our Sugarloaf campus. Uh, thanks for being here today. Let me go ahead and get started and see if I even need to preach today. And I'm being serious about this. If I don't, we'll just do something else. Anybody here under any stress at all? Could you just hold your hands up? All right, we're in business, okay? Now, I, I want to be very honest. When I went into the ministry, as you know, I didn't intend to go into the ministry. God changed all that when my senior year in college. But I have to be honest, when I went into the ministry, I was ignorant and I was optimistic. And let me tell you what I mean by that. <clears throat> I was ignorant because I didn't grow up in the home of a pastor. I didn't grow up in a minister's home. And I didn't really know much about the life of a pastor except what I saw on Sunday, just like you. Most of you, the only time you ever see me is on Sunday. And so my only impression of what a pastor did and, you know, the work that he did was, you know, on Sunday. Well, that kind of made me optimistic because I kind of figured going to the ministry, well, the good thing is compared to a lot of other professions, it's going to be a relatively, you know, stress-free job. It's going to be always enjoyable. I'm going to have a great time every day. Everybody's going to like me. Everybody's going to love me. And everybody's going to want to do a lot of things for me. And I thought, you know, it's a pretty good gig. I don't think it'll be too bad. And then I wished I had read something that Los Angeles Times psychologist Richard Blackman once observed when he said, and I'm quoting, pastors are the single most occupationally frustrated group in America. I didn't know that when I signed up. As a matter of fact, at the time he wrote that, about 75% of pastors said they went through a period of stress so great they considered quitting the ministry and 70% actually did. Let me tell you a historical fact. We don't do this anymore. But years ago, the level of mental breakdown is so high in the ministry that some insurance companies would charge up to 4% extra to other church staff members compared to, compared to employees in other professions because of the toll that the ministry can take. Now, I've both told and I've written about a time in my ministry I was under such stress and I was under such pressure. In fact, we've got people here today that went through this with me. I was under such stress and I was under such pressure. I began to lose my hair. That's continuing. I began to lose my hair. Uh, I had to go on blood pressure medicine. I was sweating through my suits before I got up to preach. And I was really ready to throw in the towel. And I say that because I know that some of you can't help yourself. You think that the job of a pastor is, you know, basically, you, look, all you got to do is kick up your feet and read a few books and prepare a sermon and take it easy, you know. And, 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 and let me assure you that it is as stressful as any other job out there. So let me just give you an example. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with attendance issues, leading a staff, Seeing to, it, seeing to it that the buildings are maintained, volunteers are recruited, people are ministered to, people are counseled with, preparing sermons, answering emails and phone calls, and then trying to meet the high standard that everybody else out there wants to set for you and your kids. I want to tell you, there's enough stress in my line of work to go around. And so, yes, even pastors have to deal with the mess of stress. Now, I know I'm not the only one under stress. I know I'm not the only one dealing with stress. As a matter of fact, the Institute for Preventative Medicine, every year, they issue a top 10 healthiest solutions. They give it out every year. They'll come out and they'll say, if you want to have a good year, do you want to maintain your health? These are the top 10 things you need to be doing physically, mentally, and emotionally. Do you know what one thing always makes the list every single year? 
Some don't, but this is one thing that does. You ready? Stress management. They say you want to be healthy. You have got to learn to manage stress. You've got to learn to get a handle on it. The SHA, the Safety and and, uh, Health Administration, says that stress costs American businesses $300 billion a year. And of all Americans that say they are under constant stress, 62% say they experience a great deal of stress at least once a week. If you're a young parent and you've just had a baby, you've got stress every single day. I get it. I've been there. And there are some of you that you say, you know what? Stress is just a part of my daily life. It's the culture we live in. One of my favorite authors is a man named Os Guinness. And Os Guinness put it this way. He said, we now live in a world of speed, stuff, and stress. And under the relentless tyranny of the urgent now, the boundaries between work and leisure, public and private, are dissolving so that we have no rest and we're forced to be time jugglers and multitaskers. We are all rats in the rat race. We are all overwhelmed by all we have to do. And we struggle with priorities to remember and agendas to keep under control. And all of God's people said, and that's just true. That's just the culture that we live in. And everybody is vulnerable to the attack of stress. And let me tell you why I know everybody's under stress. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting there saying, I don't feel under any stress, that ought to stress you. (laughs) Something's wrong with you. Okay, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I know everybody has to deal with stress. Because every day or every week or every month, sometime, some way, somehow, we all have to deal with three things. They just come with life and they all cause stress. Here's the three things. We all deal with them. First of all, there are unavoidable pressures that we have to deal with. Um, Deadlines to meet, projects to finish, bills to pay, people to see, appointments to keep. We've got these unavoidable pressures. They just come with life. And then we have to deal with unbearable people. I mean, trust me. I've told you this before. I tell young pastors all the time. I tell pastors, I say, if you could ever pastor a church with no people, you won't have any problems. Because I'm just telling you, once you deal with people, you've got problems. And it may be for you, maybe it's, a, it, maybe it's an abusive spouse. It may be a, a, a mean boss. It may be a cantankerous in-law. But we've all got these unbearable people. And then we have what I call unexplainable problems. I mean, you know, there's um, illness. You get the pink slip. Or you get the one that is absolutely demonic straight out of the pit of hell, and that's when your computer crashes. I mean, we all have to deal with that kind of stress. So here is the question I want to raise for us this morning. Here's the question. When you are stressed out, how do you get the stress out? When you are stressed out, how do you get the stress out? If you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series in a book called Philippians. We've been calling Joyride because the book of Philippians talks more about joy than any other book in the Bible. And so here's the big question now that we're going to have to answer, and I want to help you answer it. How can you bear the fruit of joy? How can you have joy in your heart? How can you maintain that on a daily basis with all the pressures we have to handle? and all the problems that we have to solve, and with all the people that we have to deal with. 
Now, I'm gonna be very honest. I probably, I thought about this the other day. I thought I, I will probably never preach a message that I need to hear more than this message. So if you're not here, I really would preach it anyway because I need to hear it. And there was a man who was in prison. He was under the threat of death every day. He didn't know from day to day whether he would live or die. And this man, a man named Paul, wrote the perfect prescription for how to get stress out when you are stressed out. Now, I'm gonna do something I rarely ever do because it sounds kind of egotistical and I don't mean it to sound that way. But I'm gonna ask some of you today, in fact, I'm gonna ask all of you today, if, if, if you will, I'm gonna ask you to take notes. Now, most of you may say, I don't like taking notes. You better take notes today because you either need this message now or you're gonna need it tomorrow. At some time in your life, you're gonna face stress in an unbelievable way. And you're either going to need to take these four steps now or one day you're gonna to need to take them if you're just gonna remain sane. If you're gonna just keep, you know, keep your sanity about you and you're gonna to have to remember what they are. And in fact, I'm gonna tell you something. If you will remember these four things and write these down and practice them, I promise you, your life will be richer, your life will be sweeter, your life will be better every day. So we're in a book called Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter four, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, it's on page 50 in your little discipleship booklet. Paul said, and remember, this guy doesn't know if he's gonna live or die. He's under stress every day. He's chained to a soldier, can't even get away. And Paul says, but you know what? I've learned how to get the stress out by doing four things. Here we go. Number one, rejoice in the person of the Lord. Rejoice in the person of the Lord. Now, here's the first piece of advice that Paul gives, and you can do it. And by the way, this is what you're going to see about This is such a great word that Paul gives because it's like building blocks. Each one builds on the other one. He said, now, here's step one. You got to take step one. That is, you got to rejoice in the person of the Lord because you're going to see this sets up everything else. So this is what Paul says. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And there are two words there I want you to keep in mind. One is the word always, and the other is the word again. Now, why does Paul repeat himself? Because he was trying to emphasize something. When, when somebody says something once, okay, he means it. If he says something twice, he really means it. And what he says is, when I talk to you about rejoicing in the Lord, this is not something you do occasionally. He said, this is something you do always. So you don't rejoice when you feel like it. You rejoice when you don't feel like it. You don't rejoice when things are going good. You also rejoice when things are going bad. You don't just rejoice when you're happy. You rejoice when you're unhappy because joy has nothing to do with happiness. Now look, Paul understood, and I understand. It's hard to rejoice when the pressures are great and the problems are big and the people are mean. And that's why he did not say this. He did not say rejoice in your circumstances because you can't. And there may not be right now, you may be saying, well, I'm glad you didn't say that because I'll tell you something. There's not a lot of joy in my circumstances right now. I get it. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Now you may say, but wait a minute. You don't understand how great my pressures are. No, I don't, but I do understand this. The Lord is greater than your pressures. You say, but 
Pastor, you, you, you just don't know how big my problems are. No, I don't. But the Lord is bigger than your problems. Yeah, but you, you just don't know how difficult the people I have to deal with are. No, I don't. But the Lord is better than your people. So let me just make this plain. I want you to, don't you to misunderstand what I'm saying. You can't always rejoice in your circumstances. You're not going to find a lot of joy in big pressures. You are not going to find a lot of joy in tough problems. You're not going to find a lot of joy in difficult people. But hear me, you can always rejoice in the Lord. You can always rejoice in the greatness of the Lord. You can always rejoice in the grace of the Lord. You can always rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. And by the way, you can't always choose to be happy. And I'm not asking you to choose to be happy. And I, you know why you can't always choose to be happy? It's very simple. Because happiness is determined by what happens to you. That's why we call it happiness. So if what's happening in your life right now is bad, you're not gonna be very happy. It, but you know, if, happy, if what's happening is good, you may be happy. So I'm not standing up here saying, you need to choose to be happy. You cannot choose to be happy. You can't always be happy. You can always choose to be joyful because you're joyful in the person of the Lord. There's a book, you've probably never heard of this book. It's, it's by, it's by a, a, a psychologist. His name is Dr. Earl Hensland. He wrote a book called, This Is Your Brain on Joy. I thought this was fast. Listen to what he said. He said that joy and worry, joy and anxiety, joy and discouragement, he said, in your brain, they travel the same pathway. He said, it's very normal for joy and worry, joy and anxiety, joy and depression, joy and discouragement. He said, it's very, 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 very normal for them to occupy the same path at the same time. But he says, this is what your brain can do. Your brain gets to choose which one gets the right of way. Your brain gets to choose whether or not, you know what? Joy, you're gonna walk this path or worry, you're going to walk this path. And he said, if we open the gate for joy, anxiety, then worry has to get off the road. But if you open, the, 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 your, if you open your brain and your pathway to joy, worry and anxiety have to get off the road because there is no room for them to come beside each other. So even though Paul was not a psychologist, since all truth is God's truth, I wanna tell you, this is a great psychological truth. He said, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark your days are, no matter how difficult the people are, no matter how great the pressures are, you can choose to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I know what Paul says is true. I know this works, and I'll tell you why. Because of the next step he says we need to take, okay? So what is step one? You rejoice in the person of the Lord. Well, when you do that, what's the next step? He said, all right, step two, you relax in the presence of the Lord. You relax in the presence of the Lord. Now, Paul goes on to say this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word gentleness is an interesting word, and, and it doesn't talk about being gentle like we think about being gentle. That word literally means to be calm, to be level-headed, to not sweat the bullets, to be steady. It means to refuse to panic 
when everybody else is going crazy. It means refuse to overreact. It means you choose faith over fear. You choose trust over trembling. You choose worship over worry. And listen to what Paul says. He says, let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Now, Now, what did he mean by that? What he was saying was this. If you really trust God, no matter what's going on in your life, people should see it. It should be evident to other people that you are trusting God to handle the stressful times in your life. I mean, don't you want your family members and your friends and your, co- your coworkers and your neighbors to see this is how a real Christian handles real problems. This is how a real believer in God handles stress. We don't freak out. We don't run out. We remain contagiously calm and trustful because we know we've got the presence of God right beside us. And so here's what we learn to do. Instead of focusing on the problems and focusing on the pressures and focusing on the people and forgetting about God, instead, we focus on God. We let him handle the problems and the pressures and the people. He says, your gentleness will be evident to everybody. Now, there are four words words you ought to learn to say to yourself every single time you're walking the floor, every time you're worried sick, every time you're going, what am I going to do? Every time your gut is in a knot, every time your blood pressure is up, every time the ghost of worry is haunting your house. There are four words you ought to say, and sometimes you ought to say them out loud. Here's the words. The Lord is near. Say that with me. The Lord is near. Now say it like you mean it. The Lord is near. Listen, that's always true. The Lord is near. He is always near. And he says, you know, that word near, by the way, can mean either being near in time or near in space. And what Paul was talking about here was space. What what Paul was saying was, you need to practice the presence of God in your life. You need to realize Everywhere you go, the Lord is with you. It's the same thing the psalmist said. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, but as for me, it is good to be near God. That means, boy, it's so good to know I'm right beside him. It's no, so good to know he's right beside me. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It should bring you tremendous comfort right now to remember this. You can never get away from God and God will never go away from you. You can never get away from God, and God will never go away from you. See, we've got it all wrong. If, if I were to come to you today, I would say, hey, what do you think peace is? What, what, is, what, is it, what does it really mean for a person to have peace? We've got it all wrong. We think that peace is the absence of conflict. We think peace is when everything's going our way. We think peace is when, well, I don't have any unavoidable pressure. I don't have any unsolvable problems. I don't have any unbearable people. Let me tell you something. That is not true. Peace is not the absence of difficulties. Peace is the presence of God. He said, the Lord is near. You know why Paul was saying this? He was saying, look, you never face the fire alone. You are not in the battle by yourself. You're not in danger in a lonely place and you're not the last man standing. No matter what you face, no matter what is facing you, you can always relax in the presence of the Lord. So you go in Monday morning and you get fired. You get the pink slip. I had a guy call me last week 
one of my dearest friends, been working for the same company 28 years, walked in last Friday and got fired. You know what I told him? The Lord is near. So you get a bad report from the x-ray. The Lord is near. You got a phone call and your relative may not make it. That's all right. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the person of the Lord. Relax in the presence of the Lord. Now, watch how this works. Once you rejoice in the person of the Lord, I'm going to rejoice, Lord, no matter what. It's not going to steal my joy. And you relax in the person of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. I'm not in it by myself. I'm not alone. I may be lonely, but I'm not alone. You're right beside me. Now, watch what you get to do. You ready? Third thing, you release your problems to the Lord. You release your problems to the Lord. Now, let me again, I'm gonna say something. What Paul is about to say, some of you are not gonna like. Can I be honest? When I first read it, when I was you know, younger, I didn't like it either. But you have to hear it because he's saying the right thing. He's giving the right advice. Here's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Let me tell you why I don't like that sometimes. I don't think anything irritates me more than when I tell somebody that I'm worried about something and they'll say, well, quit worrying. Don't you just want to smack them in the mouth? Dude, if I could quit worrying, I wouldn't be telling you I'm worried, right? But they'll say, hey, just quit worrying. But you know what? That's exactly what Paul says. Or if you want to put a positive spin on it, here's what he really says. Worry about nothing. Now, you talk about somebody that understands that's a lot easier said than done. I'm a worry wart. I'll tell you right now, it's one of my biggest weaknesses. My mom was a worry wart. I guess it's congenital. I got it from her. I, I, you know, I, I, I tend to be a worry wart. But then I, I understand there's a reason why we shouldn't worry because I want you to hear this. There's one thing's always true about worry, always. And Jesus told us this. It is a waste of time. Amen. Man, I'm worried about my weight. Well, you worry all you want to. You keep eating like you're eating, you're not gonna lose weight. <laughs> well, I'm worried I can't pay my credit card debt. Well, you keep piling up that debt, you're not gonna pay off your, no how much you worry about it. Listen, this is my definition of worry. Worry's like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. That's true. Worry is just a waste of time. I, I, I read the other day about a French soldier. This is true. A French soldier in World War I. And, and he carried into battle the best prescription for worry I think I've ever come across. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. This makes so much sense to me. Listen to this. He said, of two things, one is certain. Either you are at the front of the lines or you are behind the lines. If you're at the front of two things, one is certain. Either you're exposed to danger or you're in a safe place. If you're exposed to danger, one of two things is certain. You are wounded or you are not wounded. If you are wounded of two things, one is certain. You either are going to recover or you die. If you recover, there's no need to worry. And if you die, you can't worry. <laughs> oh, boy, what a great, well, man, he had it down. There simply is no need to worry. But now here's the question. And I need to hear the answer too. But pastor, how do you keep from worrying? I mean, how do, you, how do you do that? What's the alternative? Paul says, here's the alternative. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present 
your request to God. So here's what Paul said. He's your psychologist. He's your therapist. He's your counselor. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Now, what do we tend to do? Let's just all be, don't look at me holy out there today. Don't you try that stuff on me. What do we tend to do? <laughs> we worry about everything and pray about nothing. That's what we do. We worry about everything and we pray about nothing. But think about it. Those are your only two alternatives and you're gonna do one or the other. You're gonna spend your time worrying or you're gonna spend your time praying. There was a man that went to see a doctor. And when he walked in, the doctor was just shocked. Both of his ears were severely burned. I mean, they were, they were like an overdone steak. They were black, they were crispy, they were you know, flaking off. And the doctor looked at him, he said, dear God, man, he said, what? how did you burn both of your ears? The man said, well, doc, I've been under a lot of stress and I was in a hurry and I was late for a meeting. I didn't have any shirts to wear. I had to iron one. He said, the phone rang. I was so stressed out. I was so confused. I answered the iron instead of the phone. And the doctor said, well, how did you burn the other ear? He said, he called back. Now, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is when you're dealing with these pressures, and you're dealing with these problems, and you're dealing with these people, you're either going to pick up the iron of worry, or you're going to pick up the phone of prayer. That's the only two choices that you have. And Paul is dealing here with reality and with facts. He says, look, the fact is, every time you're stressed, every time you're worried, Every time your blood pressure is going off the charts, he said, you can do one, you got a choice. You can choose to try to carry that pressure. You can choose to try to solve that problem. You can choose to try to deal with that person on your own, or here's what you can do. You can take those pressures, and you can take those problems, and you can take those people, and you can give every one of them to God. So what Paul is saying is this. When the waves of worry flood your mind and the tornado of trouble is tearing at your soul and the hurricane of heartache is pounding at the door of your heart, Paul said, there is a God who is near and there's a God who is saying to you, give it to me. I've got this. Leave it to me and leave it with me. I mean, let me ask you a question. I know the answer. Have you ever been so discouraged? Have you ever been so depressed? Have you ever been so depressed? Have you ever been so disillusioned? Have you ever been so defeated that you just finally looked up and you just said, I can't handle this? That's where I was in that situation I told you about. When I was losing my hair, sweating through my suits, blood pressure off the charts, couldn't sleep at night, worried I was gonna get fired from my church, that's where I was and I finally said, I can't handle this. And you know what God spoke in my heart and said to me? You are exactly right, you can't, but I can. 
I never said you could. I always said I would. You release your problems to the Lord. And oh, by the way, Paul says, you're to do this with thanksgiving. Now, why does he kind of stick the knife in? I mean, it's one thing. With thanksgiving, you say, wait a minute. Pastor, okay, I'll try to do what you're saying, but how in the world can I be thankful? Real easy. You can always be thankful that no matter how great the pressure, how difficult the people, how hard the problem, God loves you enough to care about them, God is powerful enough to handle them, and God is wise enough to grow you through them. So you want to get the stress out when you're stressed out? First of all, you just stop everything you're doing and you rejoice in the person of the Lord. You relax in the presence of the Lord. You release your problems to the Lord. And here's what will happen. You ready? This is the best part. You will rest in the peace of the Lord. You will rest in the peace of the Lord. So, God says, you stressed out today? Boy, am I stressed out. God says, let me help you get the stress out. In fact, God will help you arrest stress so you can be at rest without stress. Can I get a little love on that one? I mean, I made that up. It took me an hour to think that up, okay? God will help you arrest stress so you can be at rest without stress. And he says, this is what will happen. Paul says, okay, if you'll do what I tell you to do, I'm your counselor. You ask for advice, here's my advice. You rejoice in the person of the Lord. You relax in the presence of the Lord. You release your problems to the Lord. He said, I guarantee you this is what will happen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the peace that can only come from God. Now hear that. The peace of God is the, only, is the peace that can only come from God. The peace that only God can give will be a guard over your heart. It will be a guard over your mind that stress can't penetrate. See, this is not the kind of temporary peace that people try to find through money or drugs or alcohol or sex or pills. You know why? Because that peace never lasts. When you get sober again, you're stressed out. When the pill wears off, you're stressed out. When you wake up, you're stressed out. Doesn't matter what you're trying to do to find that peace anywhere else. This is a peace that can't be bought. It can't be borrowed. It can't be stolen. It's not found in a pill. It is found in a person. It's not found in a drug or a drink. It is found in a deity. So, you're stressed out today. Boy, am I stressed out. Simple question. You want to get the stress out? You say, man, I really do. Well, I want you to imagine that you have three boxes, okay? Three boxes. Now, this box is called worry, okay? Let's see if you've been listening. What ought to go in the worry box? Who said nothing? Who said nothing? You heard it. See that word? Everybody say that. That's what goes in the worry box. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But what about the big things? 
nothing. What about the huge things? Nothing. Don't, all you put in that worry box is nothing. Well, you got a second box you can choose from and that's called prayer. So what do you think goes in the prayer box? Yeah, everything. So everything goes in the prayer box. That prodigal son, he goes in the prayer box. That cantankerous in-law, you go to the prayer box, you lock it, you put tape around it. The lack of a job, financial difficulties, the spot on the x-ray, everything goes in the prayer box. And then you got the Thanksgiving box. Anything goes in the Thanksgiving box. You say anything? Anything. But, but I have cancer. I understand that. But God's going to teach you something in that cancer. And God is, God's going to show himself strong in your behalf because of that cancer. But I, but I lost my job. God will meet your need and maybe God has a better job. And here's what I have learned. When you walk out this door, or you walk out that door at Mill Creek, or you turn off that computer, or you shut off this TV, the cold hard truth is we still have to go back out into that world, don't we? With all those pressures and all those problems and all those people. But this is a promise I can't guarantee it's better than that. It's a promise that God guarantees. When you put nothing in the worry box, you put everything in the prayer box, and you put anything in the thanksgiving box, you'll no longer be stressed out. God will take the stress out. Let's pray together. With his bowed